This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Nabil Biagio and here's what's coming up. There has been allegations of organs being harvested and yet there is no law to regulate those who are doing this. That's Uganda legislator Sarah Opendi on, the, on a bill to criminalize the sale of human organs and tissue. That's all, all of that and more coming up on African News Tonight. Burkina Faso may be undergoing another coup attempt, this time to oust the junta that grabbed power in January. Troops have blocked streets in the capital, and state TV has stopped broadcasting after reports of heavy gunfire near the military camp where the junta leader is based. Reporter Henry Wilkins spoke with me from Ouagadougou. Welcome to the show, Wilkins. Thanks for having me. Gunfire, heavy deployment of, of troops. Uh, the, the TV uh, national broadcaster is off the air. What is happening in Ouagadougou? Yeah, I mean, so two weeks this morning, there were reports of gunfire and explosions around the Wagadougou 2000 neighborhood of, uh, of the capital, Ouagadougou, uh, where the main military base is, where the, uh, the military president, President Amoeba, is, uh, is also based and the presidential palaces. Um, this morning, in the centre of town, large parts of the city have been blocked off by uh, troops wearing ski masks, which is a fairly unusual thing to see uh, for troops on the, on the streets of, of Wagadugu. Uh, they cut off parts of the city where there are government buildings, uh, the, the state broadcaster and the French uh, embassy. This afternoon, the, uh, the the president's office came out with a statement saying that there had been quote a change in mood um, amongst the the armed forces and that they were in negotiations to bring about uh, peace and serenity were the words that they uh, that they used. But they didn't say explicitly that there was no coup or there had been no coup attempt. The statement uh, the junta issued uh, said uh, there was a change in mood. Yes, so a change in mood within the armed forces. So it seems that this, at the very least, that this stage is a, is a mutiny on the part of the armed forces. Whether it turns out to be a full-blown coup attempt or, or, or a coup that reaches completion uh, is, is yet to be seen. And what might be, uh, you know, behind this? What caused, what triggered uh, this uh, dispute within the army? Yeah, I mean, it, it really goes all the way back to. 2015. I mean, since then, uh, Burkina Faso has been locked in a conflict with uh, armed groups linked to Islamic State and Al Qaeda. Uh, security has worsened across the country ever since then. Dimeba um, himself came to to power in a coup in uh, January, military coup. He's a member of the military himself. Uh, and it, it, the coup really happened on, on the basis of the justification of the coup was that uh, the Niger would sort out the insecurity in the country. This hasn't happened. The number of attacks that are going on almost daily have not reduced. Uh, the government has lost even more ter- territory to uh, armed militants. Uh, and then on Monday this this week, there was an attack on a convoy which was headed to the town of, of Jibo in the north of town, which has been under siege by militants on and off for, for at least a couple of years now. Uh, the, the convoy was completely destroyed, um, even though it had a military escort, 11 military dead, at least 50 
uh, civilians missing. And in the short term, this is really what's, uh, what what people have been talking about in uh, Wagadugu over the last week. And, you know, it has yes. a lot of uh, the members of the public cast doubt on how capable the uh, military junta is of... Um, Security. Yes, and in the meantime, how is life in Ouagadougou when when you get out, like in the streets? Are people moving around? I understand certain streets are blocked. The ones leading to the presidential palace and the, the TV station, uh, you know, amid heavy security de- deployment. How is life in Ouagadougou today? Yeah, I mean, largely, apart from the areas of the city that you just mentioned, which have been closed off by the, the military, people are for the most part, going about their, their daily business. Um, some businesses have have closed, but, uh, but uh, you know, the majority of people seem to be seem to be continuing on as, as normal. And has there been any response from the region uh, to what's happening in Burkina Faso? Not yet. I mean, there's. Uh, I, I don't think anybody really knows at this stage what is happening in in Burkina Faso, what what the events of today represent? Uh, to, to my knowledge, no, there's been no uh, there's been no comments from from regional governments so far. Uh, thank you, Henry Wilkins, for joining us live from Ouagadougou. Of course, we'll continue uh, monitoring closely the situation uh, there. Thank you for being with us on African News tonight. Thank you. I spoke with research fellow at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies, Daniel Eisenger, about the fluid security situation in Burkina Faso and what could be behind what observers say bears the hallmark of a coup attempt. There was a a, a military coup in January this year um, that uh, ousted a Democratic elected uh, president uh, and his administration. Um, they were elected in 2020. Um, and the the rationale put out by the junta at the time uh, was that the security situation in Burkina Faso had deteriorated so dramatically um, that they were left no choice but to take power um, and turn turn the tide. Um, Burkina Faso, for context, um, for the last several years has been facing a growing militant Islamist insurgency. Um, that started out in the country's northern areas that border Mali and Niger um, and has has spread into a much larger cross-section of the country. It's now affecting um, the northern regions as well as the eastern regions and uh, pockets of the southwest. Yeah, you did mention the coup in January was justified uh, as a necessary security measure uh, but just to step back a little bit, what makes Burkina Faso so prone to these military power grabs? Uh, you already mentioned we had a coup in January. Now it seems a coup is afoot. What makes uh, right. the country so fragile, you know, and and prone to these uh, well, coups? Yeah. So there, so there are two things I think that are going on here that are really important. One is that uh, military juntas are terrible at actually improving uh, the government response to security crises. Um, they, they're, they're not well um, structured. They're not well trained. 
uh, to govern. Uh, militaries are not set up to govern. And so when militaries take power, they justify it by saying that they're going to improve the security situation. But what happens is that they are often pulled into all different kinds of directions and distracted by having to now govern the entire country, which means more than just the security situation. With this junta that took power in January is that they haven't done a very good job. So the security situation remains um, as bad and getting worse uh, as it was before that coup. Um, so you can imagine that some of the soldiers are, are very disillusioned by this. Um, they, the, you know, they may be feeling like uh, the junta is not doing the job that it said it would do. We could do a better job. And so there's that element to it. And that goes into the second aspect of that. And that's that military governments are inherently unstable. Um, they, they, once the, the justification and rationalization for extra legal actions of taking power, um, you know, outside of a constitution um, is, has been made, then there's very little holding anybody back to say, you know, well, why don't we just do that? Um, the, essentially, the, the legal block there has been removed. Um, and, and, and once, so, so once that happens, then you get into a situation where, um, coups just end up uh, becoming more and more likely. What is needed to break this vicious cycle of military coups? Um, I, I, you know, I think that the this this is a really important question right now for Sahelian governments. You know, I, I mentioned Mali's na- or Burkina Faso's neighbors, Mali to the north, um, and Niger uh, to to the east. Um, you know, Mali also has a military junta in power presently. Uh, and the situation in Mali has deteriorated as well. In Niger, uh, by contrast, uh, you have a civilian elected government um, that has had its wrinkles, and and you know it's not it's not a perfect government. There isn't a perfect government in the world, uh, but they've been more effective in addressing the security crisis facing Niger. Uh, the situation in Niger has not deteriorated as as sharply. Um, in fact, last year it was it was a little bit better than the year before. Uh, and so, you know, there's some evidence to suggest here that um, when you have stable uh, government, uh, when political leaders and the and the military uh, follow constitutional order and they they give the respect that's enshrined within the constitution, it's due uh, that the overall security situation is something that can be improved upon. That was Daniel Aizenga, research fellow at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies. He spoke with me this past hour here in Washington. Kenyan health officials are investigating a suspected case of Ebola in the country's west near Uganda, where an outbreak of the deadly virus has been blamed for at least 35 cases and seven deaths. Mohamed Yusuf reports. Kenya is on high alert after one patient suspected to have Ebola is being treated at St. Mary's Hospital in Western Kenya. St. Mary's Hospital Administrator Hilda Apuao told reporters the man recently travelled to Uganda and visited a health facility there for treatment of a cut. The man is now in an isolation unit at St. Mary's Hospital located in Mumias, Kakamega County, awaiting laboratory results. Kenya's neighbor, Uganda, has recorded 35 Ebola cases and seven deaths since the first case was confirmed last week. The current outbreak of Ebola is attributed to the Ebola Sudan strain and is believed to have started in the Mubende district in central Uganda. Last week, 
Kenya issued health guidelines like screening travelers from Uganda following the outbreak. East African health experts advised against closing the border to deal with the virus. Health officials in Kenya call for more awareness about the disease and better follow-up if symptoms are witnessed. Ebola is a disease spread through contact with an infected person's body fluids. Symptoms include body aches, vomiting and internal bleeding. Uganda recorded the presence of a different strain of the virus in 2019 and the Sudan strain was found in 2012. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. You're listening to African News Tonight. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see voaafrica.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. Reuters reports that the World Bank has approved a 700 and 30 million credit line to help Nigeria's 36 states back reforms to attract investment and create jobs. The news service says the money would help improve land administration, telecommunications infrastructure, public-private partnerships, uh, foreign investment, and business regulatory reforms. Reuters says several of Nigeria's states struggle to pay salaries due to low revenues and borrow from the domestic bond market and banks to fund infrastructure projects. Economists say the country should improve ease of doing business. The World Bank says boosting private sector investments is the best way to create jobs, improve state revenues, and improve social services. Uganda's parliament has passed into law a bill that criminalizes the sale of human organs and tissue. It aims to regulate their donation and transportation and sets life imprisonment as punishment for their illegal trade. Catherine Nambi reports from Kampala. The Uganda Human Organ Donation and Transplant Bill 2021 that has been passed into law was tabled before parliament by Health Minister Dr. Jen Ruth Cheng and has been under scrutiny for months. The minister's justification for the bill was that there is a growing need for organ transplants given the increasing number of non-communicable diseases whose sufferers sometimes need transplants to survive. She says the absence of a legal framework was making it hard for people to acquire transplants through proper means and was used as an opportunity for the trade in illicit human body parts. With the new law, only approved health facilities and personnel will be allowed to carry out organ transplants. Dr. Charles Ayume is the chairperson of the Parliamentary Committee on Health, which has been scrutinizing the bill. The council will come up with a criteria to accredit different centers. And if you are, you're going into um, kidney transplant, then you'll have to have surgeons, transplant surgeons. Not every surgeon will be qualified to do organ transplant. No, you have to go back for an additional training for probably up to one year. According to Dr. Ayume, anyone found guilty of trafficking in human organs, especially those of children, faces life imprisonment. The person involved in donation, there's a penalty for him. Then the brokers, 
the health workers who are involved, the owner of the hospital. So if you have a hospital, there's also a penalty. And these penalties are not small penalties. There are areas where you, there's a provision for imprisonment or the financial penalty. But then there are some where we have said, like for organ trafficking children, we have said that one is life. Imprisonment. Legislator Sarah Opendi says the bill is long overdue, given increasing reports of trafficking in human organs, cells and tissue. There has been allegations of organs being harvested and yet there is no law to regulate those who are doing this. So with this bill now in place, then organs will have to be harvested at will. If somebody knows that he's going to die, he can decide that let my organs be harvested. Another legislator, Julius Mukasa Opondo, is optimistic the punishments set in the new Act of Parliament are punitive enough to protect Ugandans from being potential victims of trafficking. We have all along been talking about this issue, but when the government is keeping a deaf ear, that now at least the government has come out to realize that there has been a problem, people have been exporting human organs. The bill, waiting for presidential approval, also seeks to prohibit the use of force or any form of coercion to obtain a donation of organs, tissues and cells. It also establishes standards for storage for harvested organs and an organ and tissue database. This is Catherine Nambi for VOA News in Kampala. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce's U.S. Africa Business Center is convening its first annual Africa Digital Innovation Competition for African Startups. VOA is working as a media partner with the Africa Business Center on this initiative. Dr. Govera Yao, Executive Director of the U.S. Africa Business Center at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, is joining us today in the studio to talk about the competition. Welcome to Africa News Tonight, Mr. Yao. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's uh, really a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, tell me about this competition, uh, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's U.S. Africa uh, Business Center is organizing. Yeah, this is really an exciting uh, initiative that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is putting together. And uh, we're also very delighted to partner with uh, uh, media partner like uh, VOA. We also uh, have some U.S. Uh, government uh, agency like Prosper Africa and the U.S. Uh, Africa Development Foundation that are partners. But in addition to that, we also have members uh, of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, uh, Microsoft, Sebastian, uh, you know, uh, Vista Bank, and Standard, Standard Bank are also partner of this initiative. It's now, a big partnership. It's a big, big partnership, a big initiative that we're pushing. Uh, and to answer your question, this is an initiative that uh, the Chamber is putting together to create a platform to identifying uh, startups, you know, innovations on the continent uh, and, and trying to help them, uh, support them, uh, you know, uh, providing both monetary but also providing some capacity building uh, in the process. 
And does it cover cover the whole of Africa, or do you have? It, it covers regions? the whole of Africa, and we also are cognizant that Africa is, uh, you know, we, we don't have the same capacity across Africa, and people are different stage when it comes to startups. So what different we did, stage of development, that's absolutely. what we did uh, uh, exactly. So what what we did for the continent is to make sure we cluster uh, startup per region, so we have North Africa. Uh, you know, uh, regional championship, if you wish. And then we have also the same thing for West Africa, Southern Africa, East Africa, and, uh, you know, West Africa. So uh, that's how we did. Uh, we started with uh, a pool of 2,000 uh, applicants, close to 2,000 applicants from 50 countries on the continent. So that was a, a very well attended, uh, you know, uh, start of a first edition. And we were able to move to a, a stage where, you know, we eliminate, we got uh, around 404 uh, candidates uh, that move uh, to the next stage. And out of those, we identify 25. And the 25 are five per region. And uh, for those five per region, we were able to, to, for example, identify for North Africa. The, the winner for North Africa uh, was, uh, I mean, is a VIS. Uh, it's a startup that is working on irrigation system, you know. Mm. Uh, for It's coming from Egypt. We also have for uh, Central Africa winner was Skyview. Uh, we had uh, a Southern Africa winner was Farm Hearts uh, Africa. Uh, we also had uh, West Africa was uh, Health Boutiques uh, that was uh, from uh, North Africa. What is common to all these uh, different startups that are operating in different spaces, like an irrigation uh, project? You have someone uh, in tech, someone doing in health. Yes. What what bring what is the thread that runs through them all? Well, the, the way we design, we made sure we had three main teams. So the t- three main teams were fintech. Uh, you know, uh, and cyber security, you know, so that mm-hmm. was one bucket. Uh, so we have people, when you apply, you, you know, you actually uh, self-select yourself in, in one of those buckets. The second bucket was uh, issue pertaining to supply chain and sustainability issues. The last one was human development, social services, so health, education, and all those ones. So what we have seen is that, uh, you know, uh, from the application we received, uh, it was equally distributed. We are actually surprised. Mm. Of course, we have a slight, uh, you know, application from the human development, the, you know, uh, aspect where you have also the agriculture, uh, you know, uh, that uh, was was there. So the common team, uh, I would say, from at least the 10 uh, finalists that we have as of today, because what we did after the, the fifth uh, the 25, we scale it down again to, to 10 finalists. And yes. those 10 finalists, we, we actually noticed that uh, agriculture, ag, ag business, ag, you know, is really dominant uh, among the, the winners. You did mention that the uh, the distribution was like even and equal. Uh, it made me think of uh, this saying that talent is universally distributed, but opportunity is not. So... Let's say a country like South Sudan, the digital infrastructure is very weak. So how does one qualify to enter and compete in this uh, tournament? You'll be surprised that we were also uh, equally and, and happily surprised that we have applicants from South Sudan. And, uh, South Sudan? Yes, for the two Sudan, actually. Oh. So we're, we're actually very pleased to see that. Uh, but, uh, w- w- you know, we don't have any restriction. It is open. 
So if you feel you have an innovation that is worth presenting to the world yes. and you want to use the platform that is showcasing by the US Chamber, then you know you, you are you are free to apply. One of the criteria that we had is you need to be an African startup, an African registered startup. You need to be a maximum five years and then you know and then working in those different criteria that were outlined from the beginning on the website. This is very exciting, but my uh, producer is asking me, I have only one more question to ask you. How does this program ultimately uh, benefit startups in Africa and the continent? Well, I think it's going, it has a lot of uh, benefit to the startups. Uh, one, uh, you know, if you win, you have, uh, we have close to 185,000 that will be distributing to the to the startups, but I think most important to help their growth, to help them grow. And but most important, we also have company like I told you, Microsoft and other companies that are ready to supporting having the program, you know, to support the startups to grow. So we feel this is really, really a unique opportunity. And the last point is that we are also going to bring the winners here in Washington, in DC, Washington DC. Uh, on the you know on the margin of the President Biden summit, uh, Africa summit. So that is really a unique opportunity to get them exposed and, and to, to really have all the network. Uh, That's need. really great, yes. great. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, Mr. Gouverneur Yao, uh, on African News Tonight. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. And thank you again for tuning in and for choosing the voice of America. <laughs>